Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. For the last defender. <laughs> It's 12 noon in London, 7 a.m. in Philadelphia, and around the world, it's time for Live Aid. Wembley welcomes their Royal Highnesses, the Prince and Princess of Wales. For many of us, our collective awareness of famine probably kicked in with Live Aid. Even those of us who weren't born then will know something about that day. Queen's electrifying performance, do they know it's Christmas? Charles and Diana in the audience. It's been a very great day for everybody. Some of the most famous music stars in the world banded together to raise money for aid in Ethiopia, a country in the grip of a terrible famine. Dawn, and as the sun breaks through the piercing chill of night on the plain outside Coram, it lights up a biblical famine, now in the 20th century. This place, say workers here, is the closest thing to hell on earth. Rains were failing, but war was raging too. One of the worst hit areas is in the north of the country, where the problem has been complicated by two secessionist wars in Eritrea and Tigray. In the mid-90s, Alex Duval, now executive director of the World Peace Foundation, published his seminal book, Hunger Crimes. It encouraged humanitarian organisations to think more deeply about the political and military dimensions of famine the verb to starve is transitive. If you see someone starving, it's not just like they've got a disease. Somebody has done it to that person. I'm Lucy Lamble, and on this episode of the Global Development Podcast, I'm joined by Alex as he releases his new book, Mass Starvation, The History and Future of Famine. He's revisiting the subject now to chronicle 150 years of this mass killer, hoping to find out why exactly it struck so many blows to populations across the globe. As Alex started his new book, it seemed as though the situation was much better since the Live Aid era. So I put together a catalogue of all the famines which we knew had killed 100,000 or more people since the 1870s. And the main finding was something that was really quite striking, which is that famine mortality year on year in the last 20 or 30 years has dropped to a small fraction of its previous level. And on that basis, I began to think, well, what we had been 
hoping in our wildest dreams, which was that famine might be eliminated, actually that might be achievable. So that was the rather optimistic starting point of revisiting this, uh, this topic, asking what has actually gone right? Why is it that a generation or two ago, every year we had, or every few years, we had an appeal for millions of people who might be starving somewhere in the world, and now actually much less so? He found that the number of people dying of starvation had dropped considerably. Times, it seemed, had changed. Famines are exceptional events. Each famine has multiple causes. Each famine comes about through different types of event coinciding. Now, a hundred years ago, the historian Richard Tawney described the Chinese peasant as a man standing up to his neck in water so that even a small wave would be enough to drown him. Well, around the world, that water level has now dropped. The water level is, as it were, down to his waist, so a ripple won't drown him. But there's a risk of a rogue wave, of a freak wave that comes about through, let's say, three, four factors. It could be a climatic disaster, a drought or a flood, along with, at the same time, an economic pressure, let's say, a hike in the price of food related to speculation in the stock market, along with maybe a third factor, which would be an interruption to food markets due to conflict or, or some interruption to shipping. If three or four of these factors come together, then you could have a famine striking unexpectedly in a place that was otherwise relatively secure. And the reason for fear is that the global economy is becoming more interdependent and more volatile. And uh, climate change is making extreme events less unlikely. So that the combination of unlikely events, events that are in their singularity unlikely, but in their combination also extremely unlikely but less unlikely, could strike. The rogue wave of climate change and interdependent global markets was at least far less likely today than deliberate starvation as part of a conflict. That's how it seemed as Alex's research started to take shape. But then... The impact of this conflict on the basic needs and dignity of ordinary Yemenis every day is clear. 17 million Yemenis do not know if or where they will get their next meal. Nearly 7 million are facing the threat of famine. We must remember that these figures represent human faces and enormous suffering. Parents unable to feed their families, children succumbing to malnutrition or disease, and countless other tragedies. Stephen O'Brien, Under Secretary General for Humanitarian Affairs at the UN, issued a stark warning. Once again, conflict was threatening to cause a catastrophic, deadly famine. The immediate threat of famine for the foreseeable future is not primarily related to climate change and economic factors. The famines that we see actually occurring today and in immediate prospect are caused by human agency. They are man-made, and I say very deliberately man-made, not woman-made. They are made by the actions of the political and military elites, almost all of them men, that are carried out with scant regard for human life. It grieves me that in these last two years, and despite my and my team's best efforts, I have been unable to report any significant improvement in the deplorable, avoidable, completely man-made catastrophe in Yemen.
Yemen is really the, the most shocking case of our generation of a famine crime because the, the lines of culpability are so clear and there's no denying them. In the other cases, in South Sudan, in Somalia, etc., responsibility is, is complex. In Yemen, it's actually very straightforward. You had a country that, yes, it was food secure, it was vulnerable to start with, it was mismanaged and there was an economic crisis, but what has brought about starvation is the combination of a military campaign primarily by the, the Saudis and the, and the Emiratis, though the Houthis on the other side are also responsible for starvation tactics in sieges as well. And that the air campaign has destroyed essential assets indispensable for the survival of the civilian population, road infrastructure, markets, as well as hospitals and the basic uh, infrastructure of economic development. Um, the central bank has been uh, moved, so it is no longer paying uh, salaries in, in the Houthi-controlled sector. And then the, the main port of Hudaida, the equipment there for unloading ships was destroyed, and repeated attempts by the United Nations to get expedited clearance for humanitarian access, for reconstructing the port so it can operate efficiently, have been blocked persistently again and again. And yes, the UN Security Council has tried to find you know, ways around it, but frankly, they have not cared enough really to force the hand of those who are inflicting famine on Yemen in order to get them to stop. Sadly, this is nothing new. Alex's history of famine tracks the scale and devastation of hunger as a weapon of war, why it's used and how it's allowed to continue happening. It dates back to imperialist conquests in the 1870s, becoming a tool of genocide and extermination in the Second World War, sweeping across communist nations as a weapon used by governments against their own people from Mao's Great Leap Forward to North Korea in the 90s. One of the things I want to do is, is to make us think of famine as mass atrocity and the exemplar, the paradigm of that, is the Nazi hunger plan. Now, the Nazi hunger plan, had it succeeded, would have probably been the worst single incident of genocide of the 20th century. The Nazis planned to kill no less than 30 million people by starvation following Operation Barbarossa, the invasion of the Soviet Union in, in, in 1941. They planned to starve Soviet prisoners of war, the inhabitants of the major Soviet cities, Leningrad, Moscow, Kharkov, Kiev, and most of the peasantry of Ukraine in order to free up the food supplies for the German army and for German settlers. So starvation would have been the single major killer of World War II, and the hunger plan would have been the most signal atrocity of the 20th century. In the event, they managed to, to murder perhaps six million people through starvation. A couple of million prisoners of war, which was absolutely appalling. A million people in, in, in Leningrad, a million more in other cities, people in the Warsaw Ghetto, etc., etc. They found it impossible to kill the full quota of, of 30 million, thank God. What's striking about the hunger plan is that nobody was ever really brought to justice for it. Alex believes that was deliberate. 
There's a very clear reason why prosecutions were not conducted during the Nuremberg Tribunals and the Tokyo Tribunals after World War II. And it comes down to a very simple fact, which is that when the Nuremberg Charter was being adopted in July of 1945, at that very time, the US Air Force was mining Japanese harbors, intending to starve Japan into submission. This was before the atomic weapons were used. And they called it Operation Starvation. And during World War II, the British blockaded continental Europe, contributing to famine in Greece. And when there was a food crisis in British-ruled Bengal, Churchill did not divert any food to Bengal to relieve the, the famine there. His priority was, was somewhere else. So we used it too. It doesn't match up with the good versus bad narrative that many of us are more used to when it comes to the Second World War. But Alex wants us to address this head on, because famine is a tool of war that's still in use. Western powers are wielding it too. Blockade, starvation is a weapon that's been used by the United States and the United Kingdom. We used it against Iraq and arguably we are complicit in using it against Yemen now. So the problem with prosecuting starvation as a crime is not that it is illegal. It's just that we, we don't care enough to do it. We concerned citizens should be saying to our political leaders and to the judges at the International Criminal Court, you ought to be concerned about starvation. You ought to be looking for who is responsible politically and criminally for the starvation in Yemen and bringing them to court. And if it embarrasses the, not only our allies, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, but our own governments here and in Washington, well, so be it. So how can we stop famine from happening again? Is it even possible? I think it is quite within our means to abolish famine entirely, for there to be no episodes of mass forced starvation again in our lifetimes. Now, in order to do that, we need to make sure these wars of elimination, these wars that trample on humanitarian values, stop. And that means basically all the wars associated with the combination of rail politique and the war on terror, they need to stop. And, and we need to put the humanitarian imperative above all else, including above restrictions imposed on humanitarian action by the war on terror by this country and by the United States. We need also to be attentive to global public goods, which means getting a more humane capitalism that doesn't have big food price spikes because food is treated as a commodity like any other. And that also means hitting on the head the agro-industry's argument that they have to produce food by industrial means on ever larger scale in order to feed a growing population, which is a falsehood, and of course address climate change. If we fail to do those things, if we go down the path of a deal-making transactional politics where every international engagement is run on the basis of what's in it for us, then I'm afraid we're going to have another era of famines in the world. A huge thanks to Alex Duval for joining us. His new book, Mass Starvation, The History and Future of Famine, will be out on the 24th of November. Please subscribe and review on all your favourite podcatchers and join the discussion on Twitter. Just search Guardian Podcasts. If you want to get in touch, it's podcasts at theguardian.com. 
until next time, I've been Lucy Lamble, the producer is Gabriella Jones, and this was the Global Development Podcast. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.